Let's bow together again, seeking the Lord's grace. We come to his house today. We want to understand the scriptures afresh. Let's pray and ask for God's help to be upon us. Eternal God, we come before thee again in the name of our Saviour. We praise thee, Lord, for the grace that is given to us in Christ, the mediator of the better covenant. Thank you for the blood of the everlasting covenant that indeed secures peace with God. We thank you, O Lord, that we who believe in Christ, we've been reconciled to thee through that blood. We have the right to praise your name and to approach thee, O Lord, knowing that you will hear and answer our cries. It is the burden of our souls again today that we meet with thee here. We thank you, O Lord, for consideration in recent times of the truth that you're present with your people, that when the two or three are gathered together, indeed Christ is here in the midst. We thank you for that assurance, and we pray that we even govern our minds and our hearts in light of the presence of God today. I pray as a preacher that you'd help me, O Lord, to put a guard upon my own mouth and lips to ensure that what is said is said according to thy will. I pray for the hearers that, again, they'd have a reverence, a submissive spirit to the word. Again, we would not put ourselves, O Lord, in a place above the Scriptures, but rather always submissive to your word and to your will. Grant us the help we need to understand the word. Open our minds and our hearts to receive these things afresh today. I thank you again for those uh, teaching, our Sabbath school teachers. We thank you, O Lord, for their determination and willingness to communicate the word of God to the next generation. We pray you bless them in their labors again today. May the Spirit of God move in their souls, enabling them, O oh God, to make much of Christ and to open the Scriptures to those who would hear. And so we thank you again for the house of God here. We thank you for the family of the people of God. And we ask, dear Father, for your blessing that our worship, our praise, will be in unity and with that common bond of love for Christ. Bless us today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Please turn your Bibles now to Romans chapter 11. Uh, Romans chapter 11, now I haven't got ahead of myself, uh, but it is in, in a gracious providence, uh, an overlapping subject today. What we're going to see in this morning Bible class R has indeed much to say regarding a message this morning in Romans chapter 11 itself in that regular series in Romans 11. We're going to come today to look at the subject of God and knowledge. We're looking at various aspects of the attributes of God um, we're coming just in our regular studies in this uh, glorious subject to the subject of God and his relationship to knowledge. We've thought about God and time and change, and we thought about God and space last time, God's presence, his omnipresence, and yet a special presence. And today we're going to look at God and knowledge. And of course, an important text in that is Romans 11, and these last four verses where the Word of God says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counsellor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. So in our studies on the existence and attributes of God, we, if you can think back several months now, we spent some time considering the attributes of a spiritual being. 
God is spirit, and there are things that are true of all spirits, but again, we're thinking of God as supreme spirit. And one of the things true of God as supreme spirit is the fact that God is infinite, that there are no limits or boundaries with God. And we think of God's infinite nature in various ways. When it comes to time, we talk about God's eternality. God is not bound by time. He is the eternal God in the truest sense of that, not only having no end, but having no beginning. God is not limited by time as we are. We have a start, conception. We have an end in this world in terms of our death. There's a, a limit put upon our earthly frame, but God knows no such limit when it comes to time. When it comes to space, we refer to God's omnipresence. The very heavens of heaven cannot contain God. God has never been bound by space in that sense because God was before there was space. Before there was any physical matter, there was God. And so God has never been bound by uh, the sense of matter that we are bound in such a way. He is this infinite God. When it comes to power, and we'll see this going forward, we think of the power of God, we think of God's omnipotence. He is not limited with power. There is nothing that God cannot do. Again, these are terms that are, again, are remarks about God's infinite nature. He is the infinite God. Now, when it comes to knowledge, we often think of this in terms of God's omniscience. God is all-knowing, but that actually goes beyond what can be known by us, but God knows all things without limits. It is the infinite knowledge of God. And so that's part of where we're going with this. As infinite spirit, there are no boundaries to the knowledge of God. Also, though, when it comes to a spiritual being, we know that the spiritual beings have faculties. We describe these faculties in terms of our, of our existence, in terms of understanding, our mind. We think of our will, the choices we make. Um, we think of our affections, our emotions. For us, emotions, as we saw in recent times, more gnarly, we think of God's affections. And so we see these faculties that belong to a spiritual being, and they must be true of the supreme spirit. And so in this idea, we're looking at God's faculty of mind, his understanding. And we'll look at it really under two separate thoughts. We'll think about, as it says in verse number 33, the knowledge of God, and we'll think about the wisdom of God. But we're going to begin with knowledge. And then you'll see how wisdom really is the outworking of the knowledge of God. And we'll see that again in future studies as time will allow today. And so we're thinking about God and knowledge. And we think of this in two areas. God knows himself and God knows all things. Okay, just in the simplest terms, and we're going to break this up further. But in the simplest term, God knows himself and he knows all things. Turn back to, we sang the Psalm 147. Turn back to that Psalm in Psalm 147, just to get, an, a, a, if you like, a biblical definition of this, or not a definition, but an assertion of this knowledge of God. We have Romans 11, who hath known the mind of the Lord. So from our perspective, we cannot know the mind of the Lord. And then you've got Psalm 147 and the verse number 5. Great is our Lord and of great power his understanding, and here's a declaration, his understanding is infinite, without limits, without boundaries. Now that immediately 
requires a doctrine of God that God himself is infinite. And that there is no boundary to the knowledge of God. And so this goes beyond our boundary of knowledge. We cannot think of something that is without boundary in terms of knowledge. We know what we know, and we presume that there's a boundary as to what can be known. We, we may be humble enough and say, well, I don't know everything, but everything can be known. He said, no. God is infinite. There is no boundaries as to what can be known about God. God himself knows himself perfectly as the infinite God, knowing that which is infinite. Again, I accept this is beyond our understanding. And this morning we come to apply Romans chapter 11. I'm going to be encouraging you to accept the fact that true biblical worship involves the aspect of awe. Worship is based upon what can be known about God. We are not worshiping God abstractly. We worship those things about God that he reveals about himself, his attributes, his mercy, his truth. We worship God for those things. But at the same point, there's an aspect of worship that simply stands back in awe of God and understands there's parts of God that we do not understand and cannot grasp. And worship involves that element of awe. So the infinite God is of infinite understanding. But he knows himself. Do you turn across to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And again, as I find in so many of these studies, all I can do is assert what is true without necessarily explaining all that is being said. You're just mentioning things and going, yeah, the Bible says this, but again, it is beyond our understanding because God is God and we are men and we are not God's. But again, when you have the understanding of God, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and the verse number 11, For what man know the things of man, see the spirit of man which is in him, and here's this declaration, even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. There's a, an assertion again that when it comes to our understanding of God, it has marked by boundaries. What, what is the boundary of our knowledge of God? Somebody tell me. What's the boundary of our knowledge of God? Okay so, okay, so you're getting to the, what's the, yeah, Lord. Okay, so boundary to or, so maybe boundary is the wrong term. Parameters, what's the fence? I'll, I'll take a couple, so Michael. That's it. Is that anybody else going to say, Christina? See him? 
So it's, it's revealed again, because you, you have that here in the, in the reference, you know. God hath revealed them, verse number 10, unto us by his Spirit. Daniel, do you have anything to add to that? Just, I don't know. It's limited. Well, so let, let's take a hypothetical situation where you have somebody converted very young in life and they begin the milk of the word and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. And so, uh, get what I'm saying? No one with a perfect knowledge before they die, but even someone with a tremendous knowledge of the, of the scriptures, the scriptures, the boundary of that knowledge, they can't go beyond the scriptures. George? Yeah, so the, the, the boundaries of knowledge are what God chooses to reveal. And we're, we'll turn to Deuteronomy 29 this morning, later on in our, in our morning message, you know, in terms of that text, the secret things belong unto, or the secret things belong to God. And we'll, we'll turn there in Deuteronomy 29 this morning. But I'm just emphasizing to you, there is a, there's a boundary to human knowledge of God. And you've got to accept that boundary and not engage in speculation about God. And also, when you're conveying your own convictions about God to others, you accept and you tell them there is a boundary about God that we cannot go beyond. And beyond that boundary is awe. The, the glory and the majesty of God that is beyond our comprehension. And that's how we get to awe in our worship. God is God, and, and we, we are men, and we are limited by our understanding. Now, when God reveals himself, he does so through two books. The book of nature and the book of the scriptures, the book of the word. Now, nature must be interpreted through the word. So again, we rightly say our boundaries of knowledge of God is limited by the scriptures. So if we see things in nature that contradict the word of God, we believe the word of God, not our interpretation of nature. But nor should we exclude nature from revealing God for us. There are things that we see in nature that does reveal God. So when I say that the boundary is the scriptures, I think that's possibly too narrow. It's the boundary of all that God revealed. And he does so in nature and in the word, but the word of God must govern our interpretation of what we see in nature. So, yeah, George. Yeah, so that is a difficult, I'm just going to pause because it's a difficult thing to, to properly define, so I'm going to be cautious in what I say about this, okay? But part of that is, is a matter of discernment. So in their, in their pristine purity, they had no relationship with evil. And so it's like Christ knew no sin. Doesn't mean he didn't know about sin, but he had no relationship with sin. And so there's a sense in which through the fall, they then have their, their experience open to interact with sin as well as with what is good. But that also has to involve an intellectual perception and discernment as to what is morally right or wrong. Okay, so it's, it's a big area, George. You want a big can of worms there. Not a can of worms, but a big, a big subject. So when it comes to our relationship with good and evil and knowledge of that, that's a relational experience. 
not just a knowledge thing. So when it says Christ knew no sin, he knew about sin. He says the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He knew about sin. But he had no relationship with sin, no intimate acquaintance with sin. We have both. But it is also based upon the fact that we discern what is good and what is evil. And that, that their eyes are open in that sense as well. Okay, it's both in that. So that's a, again, you're still coming back to the same conclusions for our, our purpose right now. That knowledge is based on what God reveals. It's, and, and conscience is there as well. But again, conscience and the revelation of God and conscience is, is, is a reflection of the word of God. So you can back to the same things all the time. It's what God reveals. We know what God reveals. But God knows more than that. I'm trying to deal with the issue of, of God's infinite knowledge. God knows more than what is revealed. But we must be content with the boundaries of our knowledge that is within the, in the scope of God's revelation. Dan? Yeah, and so you, you, you look at all, so we, we often refer to God's revelation of himself and nature, conscience, and scripture, but all of those things come under the word of God, but everything's revealed. My point right now, and then we'll move on from this, my point really is the fact that God's knowledge goes beyond what he reveals. And that's where we've got to say there are things outside what we can possibly know that are known only unto God, and be content with that, and did worship God in light of that knowledge. And so let's move on a little bit. So God knows himself. We've seen the text there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Can you think of words to describe the knowledge of God that he has of himself? And indeed of all things. So there are various words we use to describe adjectives regarding descriptive terms, regarding the knowledge that God has of himself. All right, maybe adverbial terms, Paul. Okay, so it's wonderful. This knowledge is wonderful. So too wonderful is kind of even, again, this is the sense of being beyond us. Let me give you a starter. God knows himself infallibly, perfectly. There's no faults in God's knowledge of himself. So, again, you compare that with ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things and death. Who, who can know it? So even when we judge our own hearts, we make mistakes. We are, it's easy for us to look at our motives for action and excuse ourselves incorrectly. We make wrong judgments about our own hearts. And again, our text says here, no man knoweth, you know, the things of man, see the spirit of man which is in him, but that knowledge is not perfect. But God's knowledge himself is perfect. It's also, well, give me some other ones. I don't want to give you all these. There's a number of these kind of L-Y words it's a knowledge. He knows himself perfectly. Any other ideas in this, George? I'm going to help you with this, okay? He knows himself independently. No one has to tell God things about himself. 
Our knowledge is always dependent knowledge. We've discussed this already. We, we depend upon revelation, but God knows himself independently. Others might say he knows himself intuitively. He just knows this knowledge. He has his knowledge. And another term for that is he, he knows himself innately. In other words, he's never not known himself. He's always known himself. It's, it's within himself. And so our knowledge requires either investigation or revelation. We can study something and learn. We can be told something. God knows all things. Without the necessity of study or without the necessity of investigation, God knows. These are attributes of the knowledge of God that make his knowledge so different than ourselves. He knows all things and knows himself incessantly. One of the effects of, of age is we find our knowledge not always increasing, but sometimes diminishing. But God's knowledge is incessant. It never changes. He never forgets something. If he chooses to remember, that's an act, or not to remember, that's an act of his choice, his will. And so he remembers our sins no more. does not mean that God forgets our sins. It is he chooses not to hold our sins against us. So God's knowledge doesn't know change. And that means he knows the future from the past and the past from the future. Always. God's knowledge never increases. So what's going to happen tomorrow in the will of God will not add to God's knowledge. And again, those who hold to some form of progressive theism have this idea that the, the future is open and God will grow and develop as the future goes on in man's free will. No, God knows tomorrow. Perfectly. His knowledge does not change. Okay, so there's some of the, the features, if you like, of God's perfect knowledge. We're not told expressly how God knows all things. The Bible doesn't really detail that, that question for us. Well, how come God knows all things? But there are some things we can certainly say. We can say that God is everywhere, made everything, and decreed everything. And those three truths all necessarily imply the knowledge of God. God is everywhere, therefore nothing happens outside God's presence. Nothing can happen behind God's back. You can't sin behind God's back. You can't do good behind God's back. God is everywhere at all times, therefore nothing is hid from the knowledge of God in that sense. It's also true that God made everything. So there's no creatures unknown to God in some corner, some far-flung universe. God knows everything that was made in every part of this created sphere of time. It's also true that God decreed everything. So therefore, nothing's happening outside God's knowledge. You think of Ephesians chapter 1, all things are they're working out. They're happening according to the counsel of his will. There's nothing that happens outside God's will. There's a connection there between the knowledge of God and his perfect will. And so there are things that we can't understand but there are things that we can say by implication from other parts of the Scriptures about the knowledge of God. And so you can back again to Romans chapter uh, 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. That's the response to this. You go, God is God and we are men. But continuing this, uh, God knows Himself, but God also knows all things. And here we're going to look at some scriptures that really focus on particular aspects of the knowledge of God. Now we can say he knows all things, but again, we can subdivide this. We can, we can put this into various categories of thought and understanding. First of all, 
The scriptures assert that God knows things that will not be. So this, is, this is a strange thing to start with. But it's one of the most fascinating aspects of the knowledge of God. God does not only know things that are happening or will happen or have happened. God knows everything that possibly could happen. And the Bible asserts that. You say, well, where? Well, I'm going to give you two examples. You've got 1 Samuel chapter 23. Again, I'm using these examples because these are classically quoted by the theologians as they assert the potential knowledge or the knowledge of God of all things potential. So not all things happen. But there's a, and so one of the reasons I'm pausing here and mentioning this aspect is because there's a very, very important application from this that I believe will nourish your souls today. 1 Samuel 23 and the verse number 11. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? And the Lord God of Israel, I beseech, so, O Lord God of Israel, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Verse 12, And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. So action takes place. Again, you know the account here. The, there is this battle, and the uh, Keilah is saved by David, but there's going to be treachery, and there's going to be difficulty, and all of these things. And the Lord predicts these things. He says, this will happen, and David acts in such a way as to prevent these things bringing about his destruction. God says, this will happen. He knows the possibilities of what could happen. Then turn across to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and the verse number 21. Again, I want you to understand here, we are not looking at things that are potential outcomes. You know, we may look at the future and say, well, th this could happen, and we could, we could be fairly certain, like 99% certain that this will happen, and we can, we can look and make a judgment and an assessment. But what God is saying in these portions, these are things that absolutely certainly would come to pass. So you've got Matthew 11, verse 21, One to thee, Chorazin, one to thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Here again, Christ is declaring that if the miraculous works that were done in Galilee in the times of Jesus had been done in the cities of the plain, they would have repented. But those works were not done. This did not happen. But God knew it would happen if this was the case. God's knowledge is, goes beyond the things that are or will be or were, but also goes those things that will not be. He knows all possibilities. Now, can you think of how that should encourage your souls today? You've got to take a couple of steps. This is a very, very encouraging doctrine. If you understand the ways of the Lord. And it Paul. Okay, he knows how to guide the future in a perfect way. Okay, anyone add to this? I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that.
No, no, you're fine. And, and, and the Lord makes that assertion in verse 25. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, here I need to take, you, take it back a step also. Remember, in discussing the character and the nature of God, we subdivide attributes for definition and for understanding. But God is one simple, perfect, supreme spirit. And so when describing the knowledge of God, that knowledge is connected to his will. It's connected to his sovereignty. All of these things are, are, are coming together in, in one glorious God. So we're dividing the doctrines, but we shouldn't do that in terms of our, of our understanding of God. So what's being said here? Well, it means that the all-wise God and the all-sovereign God, in knowing all possible outcomes, always choose the best. That's the point. So we may look at a decision. Maybe you're 18, 19, you're thinking of your future. And you say, you can, you can map out in your mind, you're at a point in the road, and there are several possible roads ahead of you. And you think, if I go down this road, this will happen. If I go down that road, that'll happen. And this road, that'll happen. We're, we're all limited. We do not know all the possible outcomes. We may, we may surmise, we may speculate, we may have even some very educated uh, outcomes of that. But God knows all things perfectly without any flaw. He knows all possible outcomes. Therefore, he always chooses what is good, what is wise, and what is for the best for his glory. That may involve things in your life that you perceive, rightly so, to cause you harm. Temporal harm, physical harm. But if you're a child of God, never spiritual harm. God does all things for his glory, and he does them well. This really is the very foundation of living a life of peaceful contentment before God. If you understand the knowledge of God, and then you trust in the wisdom and the love of God, you can live a life of quiet surrender and not kick against the providences of God. He does all things well, all things perfectly, because he cannot make a mistake, because he knows all things, even all possible outcomes. You see how precious this is in terms of application? And you say, well, I, the minute you begin to question that, you're really taking, a, if you like, a thread of a loose, sweater, of a, a, a loose thread in a sweater, and you're pulling that, and you're going to unravel the whole sweater. If you begin to suggest that there are things in your life outside the sovereign control and knowledge of God, you will eventually unravel God's entire being. This is foundational to who God is. And so we begin to question and quibble and argue against God. Why is this in my life and that in my life? Why is this happening in the world right now? Why is there this war and that war and all of these things? The outcome of such a mindset is to fall in to abject atheism and nihilism. That's where you'll end up in that line of thought. 
Now, you may not get there by God's grace. He will put you and stop you from getting that far. But the logical outcome of questioning the ways of God will ultimately be there is, there is no God. Or if there is a God, he is malicious. And therefore, there is no purpose in anything. So be careful, be careful in terms of how you argue with God in your own mind. It does not mean you can't go to God and say, Lord, why? The psalmist does that. Why, O oh Lord? I don't understand this. To openly confess your lack of understanding is to glorify God. Because he said already, there's a boundary to my knowledge. I cannot know all that God is doing in all of his ways. But God knows. And so we can ask why. But if the answer is not clear, we put our hand upon our mouths. Get done. Yeah, the evil day. We'll come to that this morning as well, Dan. Give me time. Okay. Just wait. Wait. 11.45 or thereabouts. We'll get to that text as well. Okay. George. Yeah, and so we're we'll, we'll gonna yeah more just um, yeah. Um, Amen. That's a great idea. You'd write that down. That's it's, it's, it's so true. There's so much truth in that because it's it's tying together the the intricacies of God's God's being. Yeah, amen. What's your last name? He's too good to be unkind. Amen. That's what, that's wonderful. Stay saying. I was going to say something similar that God does all things well, so no matter what happens, we know that he's good and glorious. Yeah, and I, I know. We, we can say that, and praise God, we can say that, and we should affirm that, but. In the dark places, it's difficult sometimes. I'm not denying the challenge that you, you read Job. Job, we'll, we'll, we'll turn to Job this morning later on as well. Job gets the point that he recognizes God's knowledge and that has to lead to confession of sin. And so there's, there, are, there are practical applications of this in terms of our humility because we, we do wrestle with God's providence. I'm just trying to assert that the, the purpose of God here is to do all things in, in a good fashion. So we're going to get to this point, and eventually we'll, we'll come to this next week. This is where we'll get to next week in terms of God knows things that will not be, things that were, things that are, and things that will be. Okay, we'll look at these categories one by one and go through the various verses that prove all of these things. All right, one last application, then we'll be better finished for today. We live in a time of a surveillance society. 
Um, we have this idea of, you know, if you were, you were living in London, there's basically no corner of London you can't, you, you can't be seen. And such as there's surveillance cameras and the cell phones, and we, we live in this constant fear. Oh, they're, they're watching my every move. And we don't like that sense of being scrutinized and watched and examined uh, with a, a knowledge. Why? Because we don't trust those who are watching us. Well, we have this concern that they may use their knowledge for harm, to, to do ill. But God will never use his knowledge to your harm. So it's a totally different order. So I, I, we have this natural fear of being under surveillance. And yet the Bible talks about a God whose eyes are in every place. And yet for the child of God, that causes no fear. No terrors, but simply the glad assertion, Lord, you know my frame, you know my days, you know my heart, you know my mind. And we'll, we'll turn eventually next week to John 21. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. The Lord knows these things. And we're glad for the knowledge of our God. And we'll, we'll come back to this next week. So we'll look at these other parts of the knowledge of God next week with the Lord's help. Uh, but may God encourage our hearts in his word again today. And you'll see how this applies to Romans chapter 11 in, in a few moments' time when we come to worship God in that fashion. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time to talk and to interact about the things regarding yourself. Uh, thou art all glorious. Uh, thou art indeed a God of understanding that is infinite. And we pray you'd help us to be submissive and humble. And again, as George has mentioned, just to, to recognize again, O oh God, that thou art God. And we pray you'd help us and encourage us in the word today. For you have revealed yourself You've shown us, O oh Lord, your, your ways in the Scriptures. Help us to study it carefully and diligently, to, to grow in our knowledge of those things revealed, and that we not be content with an immature knowledge of God, but rather seek to grow and develop in those things that you've shown to us in the Scriptures. So grant us help today. We thank you again for your hand upon us. Bless us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.